Hello, listeners. This is PSG Talk contributor Mark Damon, and this is a very special edition of PSG Small Talk. We go back to the Mahogany Small Talk Lounge for a conversation with Tyler Dunn of Banter FC. We will discuss the Champions League round of 16. We go through all the matchups. We talk about all the teams, some more in-depth than others. And at the end, I finally give my prediction for what happens when Paris Saint-Germain faces Real Madrid. It's an excellent show. I want you to sit back. It goes for about an hour. Relax and enjoy a very special edition of PSG Small Talk. So, Tyler, how are you doing today? Not bad. I hope we don't get a lot of that, but um, <laughs> I'm, I'm done with snow here in New York. But um, as you know, we are here to cover the Champions League round of 16, so let's jump right into it. Our first matchup is Shakhtar Donetsk. They are first in the Ukrainian Premier League, yep. and they will be taking on Roma, who are fifth in the Premier... <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm already getting a sore throat. Fifth in the, prim- in the uh, Serie A. So, is anyone going to watch this game? Or anyone watching these two games except for the two fan bases? I don't know. I think this is like one of those fixtures. Like, if it's on TV and you have like Fox Soccer Match Pass, like that might be a game you might turn on. You still have Ed and Jekka with Roma. You still have a very talented Roma side. You know, there is minus a Mo Salah who has been transcending with Liverpool becoming one of the players of the season in the Premier League, and also one of those players that's really gone a level up from what we saw him at Chelsea. He went back to Roma, back to Serie A, and he blew up there. But Roma still has a really, really competent side. They did give Chelsea a lot of grief in the Champions League. They proved that they can play really good football as well. I think, you know, Serie A being a lot tougher than it was in prior years as well. You know, Juventus, we talk about them. You know, Champions League's, you know, finalists last year losing to Real Madrid. You're talking about, you know, Inter Milan, even though they've been struggling. It's been a very tough league. And then you look at, you know, the Ukrainian side, Donetsk. I mean, they have Fred the Brazilian. Mm. They have a really good South American base with their, you know, Eastern European squad as well. It's going to be a very, very interesting matchup. It's like one of those games where, like, the soccer and football fan guys, like, they'll go back and rewatch it. But it's not like one of those games where it's like, whoa, Roma versus the... Shankar Donetsk is on. I really got to watch it. But it's one of those exciting games that, you know, if you're a football guy, you're going to want to turn it on and watch it. Yeah, and and it sort of happens where you're going to get a couple of these matchups that aren't, um, they don't pop out at you. And again, there's so much, um, there's so much football to watch that it it can kind of get lost. But Roma's been all right this year. They've been slumping a little bit lately. And I, I Notice again, I looked at these two teams. Both of these teams have a pretty difficult time scoring goals. Mm-hmm. Right now, Roma's played 35 games and they've scored 58 goals, which is le- less than two goals a game, which for a side that is um, trying to get into those Champions League spots in the Serie A, that's not good enough. No. So I'm curious to see whoever gets out of this if they have really any opportunity to go out there and give a big team a run, because 
you're going to look at it, and one of these top teams is going to get one of these uh, teams that comes out, and it's going to be – it's hard to see any these, either of these teams going any further than they are. But you're right. They do – Roma, I'd say, <clears throat> is the best of the two. So, I mean, I think we can – and they have Jekka, who's one of the most clinical strikers in European football. I mean, he's not, you know, a top five, but you can definitely put him in a top 10, top 15 argument easily. If you give him one chance, he's going to bury it. I mean, he scored almost 40 goals last year for Roma. I mean, obviously, when you lose a player like Mo Salah, you know, that creativity, that X factor has really affected him, as you mentioned, scoring less than two goals a game. But I really think they have a great opportunity against Shane Cardoniets to get themselves to, you know, the quarterfinals into the, you know, the round of eight. I think there's yeah. a lot, a lot of, I think there's a lot of positives for them, but I don't think we should overlook Donetsk. They did beat Manchester City. They did give them really good games as well before they clinched it up. So I think there's, it's a game that's going to be really decided by which team's going to be more clinical and which team's going to take the chances. Yeah, and, and I'd say Roma probably will. I mean, I think Donetsk is going to. I mean, it's hard to tell because they really don't have anything to lose, so you don't expect them to maybe go into a defensive shell, but. I, I mean, I think Roma pulls this one out. I think they probably win it something like 4-2 four, four, on aggregate, 4-1 on aggregate, something like that. Shakhtar going to Roma, that's a tough That's a tough road game, especially in that stadium with those fans. Oh, I definitely agree. I think it's going to be closer. I think it's going to be 3-1 because Roma travels to Ukraine first. So, you know, as yeah. we all know, the prototypical Italian setup is that you're going to play the counterattack, soak up the pressure, and then hit them on a counterattack. Yeah. And I think with, you know, you know, with Florenzi and, you know, Dzeko, and we talked about El Shirari as well, I think they're able to hit them on the counter. That's what they did against Chelsea, and I think they'll be able to do it against Shankar Doniask. Yeah, I think we agree on that one. Um, moving on to FC Porto, who are first in the Portuguese league. They will take on Liverpool, who are third in the Premier League. Some players to look for. Iker Casillas, uh, Danilo Pereira for FC Porto. Mm -hmm. And Liverpool, you've mentioned him, Mohamed Salah, who's probably been the best winger in the Premier League this year. Mm. Um, Don't forget Firmino and uh, Sadio Mane. Nope. You know, it's very it's very interesting. You mentioned Sadio Mane, and his form this season has kind of taken a dip because of Mo Salah being in there. Last year it was the Sadio Mane show, and in the beginning of the season it was, and then he took an injury, and then it's really been Mo Salah that's really stepped it up, who's on 22 Premier League goals, I believe, already this season, and we're only you know in February, the first week in February. So I mean that's a credit to the you know to the Egyptian how good he's been and how clinical he's been. But you talk about Bobby Firmino and you look at this side and you look at this Liverpool team, they play that rock and roll football and, you know, that heavy metal football, which is very attractive on the eye. But in the Champions League, especially in the round of 16, I think it might be, you know, a hamper to them playing that style of football, especially against Porto, as you mentioned, Iker Casillas, a very, very good Porto team leading in their, you know, their respective, you know, division and respective country. I think this one's going to give Liverpool a lot more problems than they expect. And, and I and I agree because I, I've been saying this on Twitter a bit, and some of it's sort of half kidding, but I do mean it for the most part. Losing Philip Coutinho hurts them in ways that I don't think the Liverpool fan is willing to talk about or willing to kind of come to grips with yet. Mm-hmm. I think what Coutinho allowed Liverpool to do was play convincing possession football. 
And he was that guy that could link the defense and uh, holding mids to the attack in a way where you had some sort of fluidity to it. And right now, and if you watch the game they played yesterday against Tottenham, they were swarmed in the second half. They couldn't really get the ball. They couldn't breathe. In the first half, Anfield gives them that kind of advantage. You get they yeah. never walk alone. You get that vibe. You get that atmosphere. But you know, Spurs they 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 had their tails tucked. They scored early. That's what Liverpool's been very good at yeah. in these bigger games. Is that they score early. They can get on top of you really early. They did it against Arsenal. They did it against the Spurs team. And everyone probably thought, okay, a goal in the first three minutes, they're going to probably get two, three, four goals in this game. But that second half, Mauricio Pochettino says, okay, guys, we need to really adapt to our, you know, to our, you know, our tactics here. And I mean, Liverpool couldn't get a kick of the ball in that yeah. second half. And, 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 that, it yeah. was, and it was Mo Salah that created something out of nothing on a throw-in. On a throw-in, he comes and just takes the ball and just dribbles and went right past Hugo Lloris. And it was just... It was beautiful. It was spellbinding, or as Ray Hudson would say, it was magisterial. Yes, <laughs> but I, I look, but and that's what I'm saying. I think yeah. when you have Coutinho, who's a player who can dribble in crowds, who can keep possession of the ball, I think Liverpool become a different team, and I think they become more Jurgen Kloppish, if if that's even a term. I think with Coutinho, they they were able to sort of have moments where they could be um, efficient in possession. And now when you lose him, you lose that ability to really unlock a defense. And if Porto is smart, I think they'll do what I think a lot of the Premier League teams are starting to do to Liverpool, especially the lower level ones. You sit back, you lock up Salah, you keep him from running... You kind of take away that press that Liverpool want to do, and you pick your spots against a defense that, you know, I'm sorry, you can you can try to fool the fans into thinking that Virgil Van Dyke is going to all of a sudden fix your defense, but the issue with Liverpool's defense is not that they don't necessarily have great players. The issue is that they don't care. No. Jurgen Klopp doesn't care about defense, so no, you can put Virgil Van Dyke in a system where. They don't care about defense, and it's going to bring him down as opposed to Virgil van Dyke somehow making everyone around him better. That's really not how it works, I think. So, yeah, and especially with how Klopp likes to do things. I mean, you look at his Borussia Dortmund sides, and a lot of Dortmund fans have this ideology, and they they praise him like he's a godlike person in their, you know, in their story history. Yes, he did bring them success, but the thing that made them very, very good was that they had Robert Lewandowski, they had Marco Royce in their prime, right? Yeah. Think about it. That's clinical. This Liverpool team, and they had Matt Hummels as well, and people I think tend to forget, and you have Pijak and you have Schmelzer, they had a very good back line where the midfielders could, you know, go forward, push extra forward, you can give the extra attackers. This Liverpool team, they can let them go. They can let them run. But the problem is, is that the defense isn't good enough, and Virgil van Dijk is not as good as Matt Hummels. He'll never be as good as Matt Hummels. And I think that's the reason why Liverpool fans are going to see it. If it isn't this year, it'll be next year. They'll start getting out. Why do we spend $75 million on a defender that isn't making the defense any better? And, I mean, you could look at his partnership. You have Dijon Lobner or you have Joel Matip. Those aren't really good quality partners. They're just not. They're subpar. They shouldn't be playing in the Champions League. 
But the problem is, is that Liverpool want to spend their money on attacking players, but they don't want to shore up the defense, and it's going to happen. You can spend $75 million on Virgil van Dijk, but if you don't practice defense and you don't have tactics to counterpart you know, a Porto team that will give Liverpool the ball and say, okay, go ahead, we'll hit you on the counterattack, we're at home first, we'll go to Liverpool, we'll go to Anfield, and we will defend a 1-0 lead or a 1-1 draw, and we'll take it. We'll just smash and grab you at Anfield, and we'll have the away goal. Yeah. I mean, that's probably what's going to happen. I think that's going to be the downfall of Liverpool, but... We also have seen what they can do against some of the better teams. They could put a 4-0 up on Porto and go into the second leg, you know, going yeah. into the late ends of, you know, into March, and they could have a 4-1 or a 4-2 lead because they play such expansive football. It really depends on what Porto does. Yeah, and I, I would say, if I'm making a pick on this, my, my head is telling me Porto. Because right. if Porto just get a... Decent result, and I think they should probably get a 0-0 or a 1-0 in their stadium with their fans. Then you go to Anfield, and Anfield is a double-edged sword because if you get on, if Liverpool get up early and they start scoring, it's one of the best places to play in the world. Yeah. If they struggle though, if it's 15 minutes, 25 minutes, 35 minutes, and they still haven't scored, now the pressure starts. Now, then, now the fans, keep, now yeah, the fans get, it. the fans get nervous. The fans start to turn against the team and you get that sort of atmosphere of it's, you know, it's happening again. So, I mean, I, I think what you'll get is, I think you'll get something like 2-2 with Porto advancing on the away goal or, yeah. Something like that. I, I, I think Porto get through this. I think they'll be stout defensively. I think the pressure will get to Liverpool. And I think this is where they'll um, feel the loss of Coutinho the most. You know, I'm going to go with Liverpool. I'm a Manchester United fan, but I can put that just all out there for people. Yeah. I, we'll get to pick, them. We'll get to them. I'm going to pick Liverpool on this one. I just think that attack is really, really good. But what I think will affect them once they get to the quarterfinal and get into that, you know, round of eight. I don't think they have a good enough striker in Bobby Firmino when they have to go up against possibly a Barcelona or a Chelsea, a PSG, a Real Madrid, a possibly a Manchester City or a Manchester United or a Juventus or yeah. a Bayern. I don't think they have a clinical enough striker. I do think they're good enough to get past Porto. I think if they can get a away goal and then they can kind of play that counterattack press at home, and I think it's possible, I think they'll get to the round of eight, but I don't think they're good enough to get that far yeah. past that. And I could go either way with it, but I I, I wouldn't disagree it's a, with it's a coin, it's a coin yeah flip. I, I mean, wouldn't disagree. Really and onto a matchup that is not a coin flip: Manchester City versus FC Basel. Basel is oh second God. in the Swiss Super League. Manchester City is first in the Premier League, and they are, I think, at this point, 13, 14 points ahead. Thirteen. It's a casual thirteen. It's a casual thirteen. Yes. So, over their, uh, their neighbors, Manchester yeah. United. Yeah, this is going to be the toughest game for Manchester City they play all season. I mean, you look at all the teams <laughs> they face in the Premier League, this, this, this FC Basel team. Let me tell you something, guys. They play, you know, Lennon and McCarthy kind of football. They play complementary football, and I think they're just going to pass Manchester City and Pep Guardiola off the park. Oh, I yeah. Really with, so. with with Leo Lacroix, I mean, what? how can you go wrong? I mean, come on now. But... Is this a training session for Manchester City? I mean, this feels like a this feels like Basel's just gonna put ten behind the ball and try to sty- stymie them any way they can. 
I, I don't see this being very entertaining. I don't see... No. I, I see Pep knowing what to do here, not panicking. They'll they'll get through this, I think, pretty easily. And I think the question is, out of all of the uh, Premier League teams, and you watch the Premier League probably a little more than I do. I watch it enough, but... Um, I mean, it's America. You can't miss the Premier League anywhere you go. But the only team that has really not had some sort of crisis this year is Manchester City. They they just and, and that's one of the reasons they are where they are is they're just consistently good. They consistently score. They consistently get two three a game. They don't panic. There's never a situation where you go, oh, they look rattled. There was that one game against Liverpool, but. Every other team has a gaping hole or a gaping flaw that puts them in a category of being inconsistent. Uh-huh. Is Manchester City the best team in the, the – well, they are the best team in the Premier League. But do they have a legitimate shot of winning this thing? The whole thing? The whole thing. Enchilada? The whole thing. I don't, I don't think so. And let, let me give you some reasons why. You know, Manchester City have had a charm life this season. You can look mm. at their injuries. Even though they've had a lot of injuries, defensive injuries, you look at left back, it's been a problem. Mendy got injured. They're one of their big signings. Danilo really hasn't panned out. He's been playing at left back. Fabian Delphus played there. You know, you have Gabriel Jesus that's currently injured. So they've had injury issues, right? And Pep Guardiola at the weekend made a point to not put him in other academy players. So he played with six people on the bench instead of seven. He was trying to make a point saying, hey, we don't have enough players. That's why they put a bid in for, you know, Mares, And now he's gone AWOL for Leicester City. I think they've been so good because the great players on their team, like the Kevin De Bruyne's, the Oda Mendes of the other team, and even if you don't think he's a great player, Kyle Walker has been consistent for them all season. Defensively, besides that left-back position, they've been pretty consistent with the players that they've been playing. The midfield's been consistent. Fernandinho hasn't been silly this season. He hasn't gotten a couple of red cards, which it did affect that Manchester City team last year. Discipline was a problem. This season, they're playing that complimentary football. You look at Raheem Sterling, he's taken that next step up in his development, which I think has really helped him as well. He's rescued them a few times in stoppage time, either winning a game, getting the draw. He's been very, very good. And you look at the City team and the way that Pep plays football, you know, you have David Silva, you have Kevin De Bruyne, and then you have, you know, Sergio Aguero. I mean, that is a great combination. And, I mean, Leroy Sané has taken that next step up. A Bundesliga, you know, prospect that's really just ascended in his second year. You just look at everything for Manchester City. It's all gone their way. The star players have been healthy. They've been playing out of their mind. And against FC Basel, I think it's just going to be a cakewalk for them. Do I think they're good enough to win the Champions League? I think it's going to be like, you know, Pep's Bayern Munich teams. They get to the semifinal, but I don't think they're good enough to get over the hump against a Barcelona, a Real Madrid kind of team, or a Bayern Munich. I think those teams have better all-around players, defensively goalkeepers. I think they get beaten in those world-class players. I mean, you go up against Barcelona, you get to go up against Lionel Messi, Iniesta, Suarez, you go Real Madrid, PSG, Neymar, Ronaldo, Bayern, Lewandowski, I mean, Manuel Neuer, Matt Almost. I think they just don't have enough world-class talent to take on the other three, other four top teams in the world. Well, and yeah, and that's the interesting thing about this Manchester City team, which is that two years ago, they were in the um, Champions League semifinals, and their best player by far was Kevin De Bruyne. And I think their best player is still Kevin De Bruyne. And I, I'm i on the fence as to what, what, like, what his ceiling really is. Like, are you winning a Champions League with Kevin De Bruyne as your best player? 
it, he's a really good player. You can win leagues with him, and he'll be a good player for Belgium in the World Cup. But I feel like they're still playing with Raheem Sterling. Like, yeah. they're still... And it's sort of like Chelsea last year where they had Willie N scoring like 10, 15 goals for them. And it's like, he's a good, not great player. And part of what I think the Premier League does to teams that play in it, I think it's easier, I think it's easier to score goals in that league because of the way the defense is set up, the way the, the, the way the play is. I think there's, it's just, it's not that it's not a good, it's obviously a really good league. It's just, there's, it's like, you watch a French league game, they are struggling to score. Like, because defensively, it's just, it's a defensive league. Yes, and, and, I th- and I think that's a misconception. I mean, you look at Montpellier, they won the league, like, yeah. in, the, in, what, 2009, 2010? And look at them yeah. now, they play some of the most defensive quality football. I mean, you have, you know, Vic, what is it, uh, Hilton is there. You have Hilton, you, the, you have Roussillon at the left-back position. They're They're good. And, they play yeah. they play great complementary defensive football. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of great defensive teams. You look at Angiers, they play some really good defensive football. I mean, you look at Nice last year, they played good defensive football with Dante. I mean, you just look at the French league, they play some really good, consistent quality football. Yeah. And and that's and it's again, it's not a knock on the Premier League. It's just what it is. You, it's a different style. I think the football's more direct. I think it's easier to score on set pieces. I think. It's just kind of, it's the way it is. And I think what'll happen, sorry to cut you there, but but I think what'll happen with Manchester United, I think they'll go through this easily. I'm thinking 6-1, something like that. But they're going to have to break down a Juventus, a Bayern, a Barcelona to a certain degree. And I think it's all matchups for them. If they get a PSG or they get a Barcelona, I think it'll be a better opportunity for them to run and a better opportunity for them to play the type of football that Pep wants to play. But if they get a Bayern or a Real Madrid or a Juventus, I don't think they have much of a chance because I just think those teams are just much better drilled. And the way the styles go, they're just much better um, cohesively as a defensive unit. So I think we all agree Manchester City is going to beat Basel, whose um, leading scorer this year has seven goals, and his name is Ricky Van Wolfswinkel. That is not a joke. He actually scored a game-winning goal against Manchester City in the Europa League a few years <laughs> back with, with, sporting, with Sporting Club. And one last thing on Manchester City, I think Pep Guardiola's style of football really benefits him in the Premier League because of the technical base play, play of some of the lower teams, like a West Brom Albion. Or, you know, you look yeah. at those kind of teams, they like to play the ball long. So if they don't have possession, they don't want to give you a go like they did in the Bundesliga, like they will do in La Liga, and what they can do in the French League and Ligue 1. I think total football, the Pep Guardiola way, works even better in the Premier League against the lower opposition because they don't have the ability to play cohesive possession-style football, which is why I think Manchester City has done so well in this second season under Pep yeah. with his style finally being implemented as Yeah, well. and, I, and I, I agree with that too. I, I think I think it, it all kind of fits well, and I think Pep understands what he has to do with his team. Manchester United, the other Manchester, hey, they are se- they, uh, they are second hey. in the <laughs> they are second in the Premier League. 
Sevilla is sixth in La Liga, but Sevilla is dangerous. They have Inzonzi, they have Ben Yedder, they have Ever Benega. It's a team with some quality. They haven't been playing particularly well this year, but it's not like Manchester United have been world beaters. They've been consistent enough. Like, and you're the Manchester United fan here, but this is what I kind of get from watching United. They've been good enough to be consistently okay. Like, there's not a huge glaring red flag weakness on their team. Yes, but, the defenses, the defenses. Chris Smalling and Phil Jones with no air I, But you know what it is? But it, and this is the, but I get what you're saying, but they're, they've been playing under enough managers who understand how to set up their defense yes. where it gets hidden. And they're able to sort of get away with it. They're not the best players in the world, but they, again, if you're in a system like the Louis Van Gaal or the Mourinho system, you get hidden a little bit and you get a little more help and you get a little more protection and you're not isolated on islands. Like certain, like if you ever watch PSG, you'll see a lot of the time on counters, their, their center backs are isolated. You never see that with Manchester United. They're always covered by something. They're always covered by a, by a midfielder. But I think, but I think their issue really is going to be, is the quality there. And Alexis Sanchez helps a lot. He brings that X factor, because you looked at it in the past weekend. He draws a penalty, right? And that was something the United players really haven't really gotten this year, is going directly at a defender, causing a penalty. And obviously he missed a penalty, but he followed it up and scored. Yes. But he brings that X factor, and he brings a world-class... I mean, you flip Henrik Mkhitaryan that couldn't cross the ball two weeks ago for United, and you bring in Alexis Sanchez... I mean, it rejuvenates. It's a player that works good for Arsenal and works good for United. Yeah. And, I mean, you look at United, they go to Sevilla, who have won Europa League. They have been able to go into these European you know, competitions and really been able to have a swagger about them. And you look at a lot of Liga teams in the past, that possession-based football, being able to go to, you know, be at home and play the, the, the quality football that they can play. They've done it against Barcelona. They've done it against Real Madrid. The only difference Sevilla will have to go up against, against a Manchester United team is that Mourinho will go away from home and he will set up a block and say, you try to break this down. I have Alexis Sanchez. I have an Anthony Martial. I have a Romelu Lukaku. I will hit you on the counterattack. And that is what made Jose Mourinho very famous when he was at Real Madrid. It's what yeah. made him famous with Porto and his time at Inter Milan as well when he won the treble. I think this one kind of works in the United's favor where they don't have to be the team that really has to initiate the play. They get yeah. to play on that counterattack, and I think if they press well enough, they do enough things right, I think they will pass. But I think this is going to be a lot tougher than most United fans realize. I think this will be a team that's really good. You mentioned a couple of players. You also you know, you mentioned Luis Muriel, who's a really good, talented striker as well, yeah. who's very, very crafty, very pacey. Sometimes he doesn't have his finishing boots on and his shooting boots on, but some days he can be really top class. I think the style that they play, the possession plays, this is going to be like one of those games where, you know, and the first game is on the 21st of February. United will give them 60, 70% possession. They'll let them have it. But somehow United will win the game one or two nothing. And that's just kind of how things are going to be. And it really also mentions, does Mourinho play two in the midfield or does he play three in the midfield? Will he let Popa be more advanced or will he have to put him in a two? next to Matic, which made him ineffective against Tottenham last week. Well, and it depends what style he wants to play. If he wants to set up that block, you're going to play 
you're going to play with those two midfielders sitting in front and with Pogba going when he can go. Now, my question about Manchester United is, is what exactly is their attack going to be? Because I just feel like for the last three, four years, they've been playing um, like attack, like attack musical chairs. Like they tried to bring Zlatan in. He got, gave him a year. Eh. They brought Lukaku in. And he's been okay. I mean, he's not. He's, I think he, he should be doing better. I think the, the way they've been attacking, yeah. what made United famous? They play a four-four-two, yeah. two wingers, two strikers. You cross the ball in. You win headers. You win some flick-ons. Maybe something goes over. You have extra people in the box. Yeah. The last couple of years since Van Gaal and even under Mourinho, at some points, they are not getting good enough crossing. And Romelu Lukaku is six-three-six-four. Why isn't more balls being played into the air to a guy that can score headed goals yeah. and can be a very big physical presence in the box? That's one thing I think United should incorporate more, but sometimes they get into this mindset of trying to play ticky-tacky football, yeah. and it really doesn't work for them. They should just do what makes them good, and that is put the ball wide, open up space, put two people in the middle, cross it. And I know that's not the Mourinho way, but well, be more physical. Yeah. Use Lukaku like you, you would use Drogba. Win yeah. those headers. Be physical. Be a brute. Yeah. Score goals. Oh, bully. Yeah. And the issue also with that though is that Sanchez is a is a is a inside cutting player. Yes, he like, is. So, he's so a, is he's, Martial. So is Martial. Now that's what my point about the whole music. I'm not sure what their attack is trying to be. Uh-huh. Like I think with Manchester United, I think less is more. I think Mourinho has to figure out the two or three guys who he's gonna build that attack around. And then just go with that. Because right now you've got Rashford, you've got Martial, you've got Sanchez now, you have Lukaku. And it's like, it's almost too many chefs. They need to figure out what the attack is. And if it's crossing, you know, from the box, crossing into the box, that's good. If it's it's a Sanchez-driven cutting inside and passing out, and that could work too, but... I mean, I think Manchester United survived this, though. I think the questions are going to be asked in the next round for them. I think. I do, too. And the, and the one thing that I have a question for you when it comes to United, what is the objective? I mean, I'm a United fan. Do I think we're good enough to win the whole thing? I don't think so. Do I think we could give a PSG, a Barcelona, a Real Madrid, you know, a Juventus a really good game? I think we could take them to both legs. I think we may not have the quality, but I think we could – Give them a yeah. really tough 180 minutes and possibly hit them on a counter attack yeah. if, it, if it's our day. If Pope yeah. is feeling himself, but the real question is, what do you think the the expectation should be? Um, right now, I still think they're in quarterfinals and out mode. I because here's the issue: it takes them so much. It's going to take them so much to score. And the thing about the Champions League is you need to be able to open up a defense really quickly. And you remember that first goal that Real Madrid scored in the last year's final. Just a couple passes, just like three, four passes, and the ball's in the back of the net. And it's 15 seconds, and you're like, holy crap, what just happened? Manchester United aren't there with their attack yet. They can have... It's very ponderous. They don't have that yet. Like, PSG have the ability to go Neymar, Mbappe, Rabiot, Neymar, goal. And yeah. Bayern, Bayern have the ability to go 
um, Robin to Hamas to Lewandowski goal. Right now, Manchester United don't have that yet. And that's where the issue is. It's going to take them against good teams. It's going to be really hard to score. So I think they get through Sevilla, I'd say something like um, three goals to one, something along those lines. They'll get enough goals and they'll pretty much shut Sevilla down. On to our next matchup, uh, Besiktas, who are fourth in the Turkish Super League. Versus Bayern Munich, who are first in the Bundesliga. And I've said this on Twitter um, before, and I kind of want to get your thoughts on it. I think the Bundesliga has been really poor this year. I agree. I think, I it's, agree. I think it's a down year, and I said, I said, I think Liga has been better. I think Liga has been a better league. I think they have four teams that are at least halfway decent in quality. You look at Bayern Munich, they're about 18 points ahead of their opponent, of their closest opponent. They only have three teams with a really positive goal differential. And you just feel like this is one of those years where Bayern have the pieces like they did during the um, the Pep years. But are they in this situation where they have it's sort of the PSG issue? Do they have the are they playing the type of games that are going to benefit them? Or has their leagues? Is the fact that their league is sorted down, maybe, um, maybe that turns against them. There's one thing that I have going for Bayern this season, even though it's a down year in the Bundesliga, and I will agree. The fact that Dortmund started so well and they've only accumulated thirteen, I believe, thirteen or fourteen points since they started the season off with twenty points, I believe. Yeah. And FC Cologne, who did not manage a win until the second part of the season, have captured more points than them since the start of January than Dortmund have had since November, November, October. That should tell you where the league is at right now. I think Bayern is the best of the rest. I think there's some really good quality talent, but when you look at a Dortmund that has been pilfered year after year after year by by the the Barcelonas, the Manchester United, and the Bayern Munichs, I mean, when you lose all your best players in Manchester City with Gundogan, I mean, there's a problem there, and I mean, Leon Bailey's been the shining light with you know Leverkusen, but it's been very down. The football hasn't been at its very, very best. I mean, you look at Liga, I think they've been playing better the whole division. I mean, you look at the the race for top four; it's much better. The fact that there's a race from two to like nine for top four that should tell you that is not a good league. That is a bad thing for the league that there's such a discrepancy from the second place team to the tenth place team that there's only you know two or three wins separating them. I yeah. think that's bad. I think that's really bad. And I think this Bayern team they have Jupp Heynckes, and I think that will keep them you know leveled. And he him knowing how to rotate a team and getting the best out of his team. I mean, he came in and they're playing FC Hollywood football, which they're known for. I think Jupp Heynckes wants to retire a Champions League winner again, and I think with the point tally in their favor. And against a frisky Besiktas team, I think this Bayern team will get past them pretty easily, and I think they will be a force to reckon with in the round of eight. Yeah, I agree. I think they're one of the favorites, and mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons they're one of the favorites is, and I and I watched them play PSG in the um, the last game of the of the group stage, and they were efficient defensively. They were rock solid, and I think that matters. Was, was Neuer in that game? Did Neuer no, Neuer didn't, didn't play, play, but they were. The defensive mistakes they made against PSG in the first game, they did not make in the second game. And their their center backs were on were on everything. They were stepping up into things. 
If we had to play Byron again, I'd be genuinely concerned because I think they have the simplicity go, going with them now. I think they know how to play. I think Hamas has been really good for them, and he's giving them that kind of creativity. He's giving them, he, he's giving them again that connector between midfield and attack and the strikers. So I think Byron sort of figured it out. The question again is going to be. They get against a big team. It's a 50-50 game, just like it was last year against Real Madrid. They sort of got into a 50-50 game, and it didn't go their way. So I'd say one of the favorites, I'd put them probably to score five or six in this tie. I don't think Besiktas get anything. I think Besiktas win the award for, um, I think they probably have the most tattoos of any. Oh, a yeah. team in the round of 16, but I think that's what's going to have to be their consolation prize. And it's going to sound like a rock and roll concert when they actually have to travel to Besiktas and Turkey to play them. Yeah. I think it's going to be loud. I think it's going to be crazy. I feel bad for the Bayern players that they're going in with a three-goal lead after being at the Allianz. I think I'm genuinely afraid for their players because they're going to get shit thrown at them, and it's <laughs> going to be... It's going to be dangerous. Well, the, the, they're, the, they're gonna, it's it's going to be like a USA versus Mexico match at, you know, Estadio Azteca. Yeah, I they may have to they may have to build some higher fencing for that game, but I mean, hopefully <laughs> hopefully everything goes okay over there in uh, Turkey, one of our more stable countries in the uh, in the world. Um all right, uh interesting matchups. I think these are the three um really important good matchups in this round. Uh, Tottenham, who are fifth in the Premier League, and Juventus, who are second in Serie A. Juventus keep chugging along, chugging along, consistent. They're like a machine. They're a machine. They're consistent. I mean, I'd like to see what happens when Buffon finally retires, but um, consistently strong. Tottenham is a team that I think there's a lot riding on this for them. I, I feel like this is a... Um, this is make or break for them. Like, yeah, this is this is like you know this is like after um, you know five or six or like two or three years of studying to be a lawyer. This is their bar exam for me. Yep. And like, they've never been in this situation. They've been building to this. They've been they've been going the route of young talent, young British talent. It's a team that I think a lot of people, especially in England, want to point to and go. Here's the model. This is how you do it. You get these young players from the streets of England. You build them up through your academy. And you unleash them on the rest of the world. But, is it good enough? Are Have they plateaued? Are they what they're going to be? And if this is what they're going to be, can they keep their coach? And can they keep their players? And if they don't, and they leave this whole experience with absolutely nothing, they have no trophies, not even the Caribou Cup, like, what do you say to that? Like, is this a success then, if you're Tottenham? I think there's a lot of pressure on them. I think more than maybe any other team. This is very big for them, because you look at it, Harry Kane... He's the man. He just scored his 100 Premier League goal. Everyone wrote him off. He came through the academy. He went out loan. Everyone thought, ah, maybe he's just a championship player. Everyone says he has his first great year. Everyone says, ah, he's a one-season wonder. And now we're three, four, five seasons into that one-year wonder. And he's proven to be one of the best strikers in the Premier League, if not the best all-around number nine. But the problem with the Spurs team is 
is that you look at the players, you look at everyone that's gone through the project. And if they don't get through, then then every single year, it's are we just good enough for the round of sixteen? And then we go out. Maybe, if maybe if we got you know what United got, maybe if we got Sevilla, maybe if we got Basel, maybe we get to the round of eight. But are they good enough to get past the round of eight? Even if they got something good, I don't think they are. I think Pochettino is really good, but if you look at La Liga and you look at other Premier League teams, the teams that are bigger than Spurs, I think they say. He's done a really good job. He went to Southampton. He went to Spurs. He's built up really good teams. Maybe it's time to try. Maybe a Barcelona. Maybe in the future. Maybe Chelsea come after him. You know, maybe possibly a PSG if things don't go yeah. right. Maybe maybe a Real Madrid come in their way. You know, you you just don't know. And I think this is, as you mentioned, this is the bar exam. You look at everything that they put in. They put a lot of years in. Maybe it takes one of the big players to say, I'm done. I want an opportunity to win actual silverware, and they leave. But then you look at Juventus. They've almost been there. The, the big goal for this whole Juventus team in the last three to five years has been Champions League. That's the objective. Conte couldn't get it. They bring Allegri in. They get so close. They're there. They're in Wales. They hit a wonder goal with Mandzukic. That's 1-1. And then Madrid run rampant. Ronaldo wins another Champions League, and Zidane is praised as this great, masterful, you know, Jedi master, and everything kind of goes, you know, for Real Madrid and Juventus. You know, they have to pick themselves up. They get Matuidi in the off season. It's a good acquisition. Dybala is still world class. I think this Juventus team, they have a lot going for them, and I just don't think Spurs are good enough to give them enough trouble. It's going to be like Monaco last year. Monaco had a couple of good players, but were they good enough to beat Juventus in the semifinal? They weren't. Yeah, and I think that's about where this is going to go. The issue really for Tottenham, again, is that they've got a bunch of, besides Harry Kane, and I'd even think that's mildly debatable, they have a bunch of good, not great, or great, not world-class players. And you can only kind of go with the same group for so long. And the way Tottenham is sort of... The way they are, they're not going to spend 100 million euros on a guy. They're not going to probably spend 70 to 80 million euros on a guy. Like, their signings have been Lucas Moore and Serge Aurier, and those guys were pretty much put on, you know, the the front lawn for PSG. It's like Trakoviak who went to West Brom Albion. It was like, yeah, we're not. Put him on the front lawn. And for Juventus, I think. I think. The issue for Juventus is that they got to the Champions League uh, final last year. I don't think they've gotten better. I think they're fine. They're they're solid and consistent. But can you say that they've gotten better? No, they, I, they've, I, think, they, I, I think the bulldog addition of a Tweedy was really good. But yes, you know, but if, he, the, if, the, if the rumors are true, he's going to be out for a month. And I think that's going to be a hamperance in the game against Spurs in, you know, in Turin yeah. on, the 20, on the 13th. Yeah, and the issue in the Tweedy is going to be, if they're in a game where they need some quality, he's not exactly a guy that's going to give you um, great possession quality. He's just a he's a great runner, and he's got amazing uh, conditioning. But again, he's getting a little old, so we'll see if he can hold up the whole rest of the way. I would say this should be Juventus. I think Tottenham will struggle to score. I think Juventus will just do what they always do. And we'll get something like 2-0, Juventus. And I don't think Deli Ali is good enough 
Yeah. You know, everyone says, oh, Deli Ali is this great player. I mean, he's better at getting caught doing a little porno than he is actually putting... Big yeah, I didn't know if we were going to mention that, but yeah, he, he's not had a very good uh, day or so. For... Yeah, his media, his media presence hasn't been good. I mean, in big games, he's more famous for bad town kills than actually coming up and being really big. And I think he's going to go missing. And I think the pressure in the media in England are really going to start putting the pressure on Spurs as they really play badly against yeah. Juventus. And it'd be very interesting to see what happens when they finally get treated like they are a big club and the adversity of not performing at the highest level like a United would be or a Liverpool will be if they fail to, you know, get to the next round. And, and I again, I think it'll just, again, no trophies for Tottenham in any of this. Nothing. Not a thing. Actually, actually they do get one trophy, and that's called for participation. Yes, the, they got the participation award. At least they tried. Um, exactly. Chelsea versus Barcelona. Chelsea is fourth in the Premier League, and they look to be on a yeah. nosedive right yes, now. And Barcelona is just looks as good Tricky as they've up. looked in a while. They look cohesive. They're not scoring a shit ton of goals. But it's a different style, and I'll give them credit as much as I dislike Barcelona. They figured out how to build a team around Messi again. Suarez is good enough. The people around them are good enough, and Messi can pretty much win you a Champions League. He is that good. He's, despite my Neymar love, I'll still say Messi is pretty much by far and away the best player in the yeah. world. Yeah, and, without, a, without a doubt. And if Chelsea's in good form, I don't think they can beat Barcelona. If they're in this form right now... Jesus Christ, that's not going to be fun for uh, that's not going to be fun for anybody. What has happened to Chelsea? I have my ideas of what's happened to Chelsea, but what do you think has happened to Chelsea? I'm pretty sure a match fixing, uh, you know, you know, sentiment coming from Mourinho a few weeks ago and got under the uh, the hairs of Mr. Antonio Conte, and ever since Mourinho had a pop at him. He's really, this Chelsea team and him have really gone down to the wayside. They were, you know, neck and neck. They went above United. You know, Mourinho had his comments, and he said, you know what, I'm done. I said my two cents. He can say what he wants. And I think he got underneath the Chelsea manager's skin, and their form is really dip. And maybe knowing that he might get sacked at the end of the season, he may get sacked, you know, you know, come, you know, March you know, 14th, yeah. he, he may be out of a job. Maybe he's thinking of a different job in the summertime that he's been, you know, rumored with, and we will get to that game last and the possibility of where he might end up at. Yeah. Maybe he's thinking of the future, and maybe he just looks at the squad. He even said, we're three world-class players from competing with Manchester City. I mean, he, he's conceded that, oh, they're more than conceded that. that this Chelsea team they're more than is that. not good enough. And I think it comes down to bad signings by them, not improving on a squad that needed it. Last year, they had no Champions League football. They ran away with the league because they played once a week. Yeah. This season, Champions League football, League Cup, FA Cup, the games are catching up, and they don't have a true number nine. And that true number nine is what is really affecting them. Morata hasn't really been that guy. You're playing Eden Hazard at the number nine. You had to sign Olivier Giroud. That was a <laughs> striker at Arsenal. Yes. I mean, I mean, that should tell you where that club is at, and maybe... So a certain Italian's got his head somewhere else, and I think also the comments from Mourinho has really spurred this Chelsea team into a nosedive. Yeah. But let's also mention that Barcelona, Iniesta, they signed Coutinho. That means Iniesta will be going into these Champions League games with a week's rest. You want an informed, fit Iniesta is still the number one creative midfielder in the world, hands down. 
Yeah, I would say so too. And I and I think if you if you give Iniesta that rest, I think he'll be probably as close to optimal as you're gonna get. Now yeah. I think I think eventually what will happen is the messy reliance will come back and hurt them in the sense that um they need you need to score goals. And I know that seems kind of simplistic for me to say, but you need to be able to score goals in these Champions League fixtures. And it's got to come from multiple sources. And there's going to be teams like Bayern, and there's going to be teams like possibly PSG, if they can figure it out, and Real Madrid, who are going to take Messi out of the game and say, Luis Suarez beat us. 33-year-old, 32-year-old Luis Suarez beat us. And it, the question will be, can Barcelona's role players step are up? Enough? Are they good enough? Is Eagle are they Brand good enough right now? Are they, are they young enough? Yeah. Are they good enough? Is it too is it too much messy? Now, obviously for this, I don't think it's going to matter because I think what's happened to Chelsea is that they've just – there's a weird culture with Chelsea. And yeah, they're, they're turning on the manager. It happens. Last, I think they're, they're, yeah, they're so yeah. used to it. And, then, and I think Conte didn't get what he wanted in the summer. I think he wanted to sort of re... I think he understood what they would have needed to do to sort of transition from being a once-a-week Premier League team to a across-all-fronts. Because, again, I'll use a, I'll use a, war, a war reference. As opposed to fighting a war on one front, you're fighting a war on two fronts. And when you're fighting a war on two fronts, you need the types of reinforcements, especially in the attack, <coughs> that are going to be able to give you the best chance. And I think he wanted Lukaku. He didn't get Lukaku. I think Morata was a consolation prize. I think Bakayoko was a, um, a he's not a good fit. I think I think he's too similar to what Ingolo Kante does. I don't think that works necessarily. I, I think because because that was the Matic role. It's that it's that in between role where we don't want you to be like Cesc Fabregas, who's going to pull the strings, but we don't want yeah. you to be like Ingolo Kante yeah, but, and eat up the whole midfield. But, so now yeah. you have that third midfielder, and it just they don't make sense. They but, need someone yeah. that's But the issue with Bakayoko is that he's a bruiser. And when you played in the four four two, when he played in the four four two in Monaco, he had Fabinho, and Fabinho pretty much did all of the creative stuff. Lamar on the wing, Mendy on the wing, they did all the creative stuff. All he really had to do was sit there and be a beast. At Chelsea, he can't do that because they don't have those types of creative wing players right now. Yep. And it's pretty much hazard centric. So I'm saying Barcelona four two four one something like that. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go five one. I think Barcelona are really going to embarrass them mm. at Camp Now. I yeah. really think it's gonna be a bloodbath, and I think this Barcelona team, if an Usman Dembele comes back and yeah. he's fit, I think he's the X factor in that role player in the round of eight, semifinal and final. I think that kid's special, and I think he could be one of those players that can really help Messi in the later rounds, coming off the bench oh. or even starting with his skill and his yeah. ability to really be the guy yeah. that really wows it. And, and that would be the plan. And if they can, if Dembele can get close to healthy and he can give them contributions, they're obviously one of the favorites. Mm-hmm. 
Uh-huh. On to our final matchup, the heavyweight battle. Real Madrid, who are fourth in La Liga, they have struggled this year, but again, they're Real Madrid. They're the two-time defending champions. And on the other side, you have my Paris Saint-Germain. First in Liga, they are the soap opera team of 2017-2018. Neymar has brought the goals, he's brought the flair, and he's brought the drama. And this is going to have... This is good. The real question is, does Neymar like Cavani? That's the real question that everybody are, wants to know. Are we going to... All right, we're going to start that. Um, <laughs> he likes him enough to not... Um, he likes him enough to be professional during the games. They don't have to be best friends. And I don't see any way those two could possibly ever be best friends. I mean, stranger things have happened. But... When you pay 222 million euros for a guy and you basically go into a a business relationship with him, if he wants to take the penalties, he takes the penalties. Like, to me, it's that's sort of just how it is. Like, I don't all that stuff, I think, is um, it's it sells it sells papers. It gives you subscriptions. It it gets you clicks. But. I think Neymar is enough of a professional where he's going to do what he's going to do. And Cavani's definitely enough of a professional where he understands that if he wants to win the Champions League, he's going to need Neymar. Like, he ain't winning the Champions League with just himself and, you know, role players. So, I I think this, and I've been kind of cautiously optimistic about this tie. Because I think compared to Barcelona... This is a better matchup for PSG. I think PSG aren't going to get overwhelmed by Real Madrid because they're not necessarily a pressing team. They're not going to come up and get the ball from you for the most part. That's just not how they are. Real have always been uh, the more pragmatic side. I think the game will be less hectic for PSG. So I think they'll be able to have a little bit more of the possession than they've had in the past against a team like Barcelona. And I think it all kind of comes down to, is Ronaldo still Ronaldo? And there's a lot of evidence pointing to the fact that he may not be Ronaldo anymore. Because he's 33 years old. He's got like six league goals. I mean, there's he's not even close to the form that you expect of him. But he's still scoring goals in the Champions League. Which it's, it's, inter- it's very interesting. It's interesting, we, yeah. Because when we think of the dynamic of Real Madrid, I had a conversation with someone who covers La Liga, and he said maybe it's because of the defending world champions, the defending Champions League. They just they just don't feel it. It's they, they don't have the motivation. You look at like an American reference. You look at Cleveland Cavaliers and LeBron James. That's we just need to get to the playoffs, and we're good enough to get there. And it's essentially the same thing with this Real Madrid team. Maybe it's because they have plateaued and they've gone as far as they can. It isn't Zidane's fault. I don't know. I don't know if Zidane's a really great manager because he's had this really good team and he's had this man management. But the X factor is, is that Ronaldo is playing like an ordinary player, and the difference between a fourth place and a second place team that's right behind Barcelona is that Ronaldo player that plays at that world class, one of the best players of all time level, and he's not at that level no more. He is. He's really catapulted and i think it's you know 
that suspension early on. I think it was like a four or five game suspension yeah. at the Super Cup. And ever since then, he really hasn't touched that really good form. Shots aren't going in. Yeah. You know, chances aren't landing to him, and he's just not yeah. finishing them. I think Ronaldo lacks that confidence, but I also think this Real Madrid team is getting older. They're not moving the ball as quickly, and yeah. they just don't have that, you know, that get up. Maybe this Champions League tie against PSG brings the best out of them. But if you really yeah. look at it and you look at the sample size that we had, it's a Real Madrid team that needs to maybe get another Galactico, but there isn't another Ronaldo or Messi on the market. Then that guy went, that guy named Neymar, he went to PSG, and unless you want to pay $500, $600 million for the Brazilian wizard, you are not getting the sound brilliance of Neymar. I'm yeah. sorry, it ain't going to happen. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you think so, because it, it, it's not going to happen. But I, And this is where I kind of fall on this game, because... If you had PSG and Real Madrid in the same league, theoretically, and they played 38 games in the same league, I think PSG over time, the way they are set up, the way that they score goals, the the youth they have, I think they would beat Real Madrid in, let's say, if you put them in the same league together. Whatever league you wanted to put them in, if they were the two top teams in a league, let's say La Liga... I don't know if they win in MLS, though. Yeah, too tough. Those that FC Dallas is really, you know, that's re- it's really quite a, an issue that, for them. That, that LAFC team is a real barn burner. Oh, right they're here. getting they're getting all the they're getting their own Galacticos right now. Um, but but it's not about that. It's about 180 minutes plus of concentration, and PSG's issue. More than their talent, and I hear people talk about, oh, they don't have a holding midfielder, or oh, their center backs aren't that good, or oh, Kurzawa is terrible. And believe me, Laban Kurzawa is terrible. And I hope people from Chelsea aren't listening, because I really want them to pay 30 million euros for him. I'd love that. Please, get this, get this, get this guy off our hands. But it's not about that. It's about can this team bunker in and play a full tie? Maximum concentration, maximum effort, not making major mistakes, not turning the ball over, not scoring own goals, not giving up cheap free kicks right outside the box. It's a mental game. For PSG, it is a mental game. We know that Real Madrid can play the mental game. They can go in and they can play any top team and they can match the effort, they can match the intensity. They'll show up. The question is if PSG does the same. And I think if both of these teams are giving maximum effort, the way they're set up and the way the matchup is, I think PSG have the advantage. I think their offense, their ability to score score quickly, score easily, is going to put Real Madrid defensively in a really tough position. And I like the, and I like the matchups for PSG. When you look I at love it, the matchups in this game. I love them. You look at Ramos, you look at Thiago Silva, two of the best center backs in the world. You look at the partnership, I think Marquinhos is a better partner for Thiago Silva than I think Rafael Ferran is for... You know, Sergio Ramos, I think I like that to tandem a little bit better. Yeah, I do too. Veron was terrible against um, whatever team they played on Saturday. He was in cement the whole game. It was weird. I know he's hurt, but... And I think that's the 
I think him being hurt and them trying to rush him back and him trying to get fit to play against PSG, a French team, you know, it's that, you know, the French players love to go over France and really like to put on a good performance because that's the opportunity for the national media to cover them yeah. and be able to see them and really help them solidify a spot in the French national team, which is stacked with great players. I understand that he wants to get back in the team, but I like Marquinhos just a, just a smidge more. I think the defensive unit itself, I mean, Danny Alves, yes, is he a great defender? No. But is he good enough to be that extra attacking talent that can cross on a ball to, you know, to Cavani? Is he able to link up well with Mbappe? Is he good he, enough to He knows find... what to do. Exactly. He knows what and to do. Been, and he's been there. He's, he's been done there. it. And he's done it against Real Madrid in very big games. Champions League finals. You look at Super Cups. You look at league matches. And he has his experience in the back with, you know, Thiago Silva, Marquinhos, and Yuri. I think will be very beneficial and especially against a Ronaldo that doesn't have the speed that he used to, I think it will be even easier to have a double-up matchup with a, one of the three midfielders that come and buckle down that Ronaldo and really clamp down on Benzema. And I think it's going to be a very a sad show for the Frenchmen that have to travel in the in the Los Blancos, the Real de Al. I think it's going to be a very sad performance from Benzema and Rafael Varane. I really do. I think PSG, I think Mbappe as well, I think it's going to be his show, and I think it's going to be really big for him, and he's going to show it up in the biggest game that, hey, I picked PSG because I like their project better than I like Real Madrid's. I think I can win a couple of Champions League here, and I think this is going to be the proving ground, the stomping ground for PSG to get over that mental hurdle of last year against Barcelona. I think this is where it starts, and I think they're good enough to beat this Real Madrid team. Yeah, and I I feel like, and and we've talked, you know, on our on our uh, on our end, we've talked tactics for this matchup for the last two months, and tactics are important, and you know, all that stuff is great. This is not about tactics for PSG. This is about seizing a moment and that can be a little you know i i might sound a little uh cheesy and you know sentimental about it and sort of old school sports or cliched but in a world of analytics and you know who scores what when and you know who covers the most ground and all this stuff this is about a team who have been at the door for three, four years and have just not been able to do it for whatever reason. And I think the reason's more mental. At times it's been because they just haven't had the players. They have the players now. They've put the, you know, to use another cliche, they've put all their chips into the middle of the table. This is it. And they can come back next year and try again. I'm not saying this is the last year that they have a shot. This is the best opportunity to prove to everybody in the world that their project is going to succeed. And it taking is. taking out the world champions in the round of 16, I mean, that is game-changing for them. And I think they're going to be good enough to do it. I and you know what? Yeah. And I think it's going to be 4-2 on aggregate. I think it's going to be PSG. And I think they're going to play some real special football at the Bernabeu. And I think that everyone's going to be turning their heads and looking at PSG and thinking, I don't want to face this team next. And that's the thing. It's all going to come down to, again, can they play 90 minutes at the Bernabeu, full concentration, full metal, full heart. And I do think, and I'm, I'm going to make my prediction here. You're getting, the, uh, you're getting the first, you're the first to know. Cool. My prediction, I think the first leg is going to be one-to-one. 
I think PSG get the road goal. I think Real Madrid get a goal from Ronaldo. And I think at the Parc des Princes, with everything to play for, the biggest game in the history of the club, I think they win 2-0. I think it's 3-1 PSG on aggregate. I think, I, like Neymar gets, I think Neymar gets a goal. I think Cavani gets a goal in that game. I feel... I feel like... Oh, yeah, okay. Who takes the penalty? Um, it, it depends. It depends if they're up by seven or not. If they're up by seven, Cavani, go ahead. Even if they're up by seven. I mean, you saw that one against Dijon when they were up seven. Nothing. This is Neymar's team. And in the end, and I'll let you go on this, this is, this is Neymar's moment. This is why he did it. So... You know, all the talk about, well, he wanted the money, etc., etc. Yeah, that's all good and fine. But this is why he did it. This reason to play in this type of game against this team without Lionel Messi. This is on Neymar. And I think he shows up and does it. So I'm going to say 3-1 on aggregate. I think PSG go by. I I hope I'm right. I hope I didn't just jinx things. Tyler. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Knocking on wood. Yeah, knocking on wood. Tyler, um, thank you so much. Um, plug anything you're working on. I know you have changed the name of your podcast. So oh, yes. give your Twitter, whatever you're working on, and we'll end up on that. All right. You guys can follow me on Twitter, T Dunfooty, D U N N A Footy on Twitter. You can follow the podcast at Banter FC. You know, it's a real fun podcast. We do great conversations, a little, a little comedy in there. You know, we like to make the funny jokes about teams, a little deli alley. We don't like to get too excited, but it's just kind of what it's like. It's our thing. We just like to have fun, have great conversations. We have guests like you that come on the program. I try to touch on every league. I try to be, you know, fair and partial, even though I'm a United fan. I still like to, you know, judge teams fairly. And I think that's why people like listening in, and I think they just like to laugh as well. Like, we all love to do it. Hopefully we can laugh at Real Madrid getting bounced in the round of 16. Oh, boy, I hope so. It's a, it's a lot of stress, but it's almost we're almost at the point. So I just want to get to this game and um, see what happens. So um, just to tell everybody at home how um, good of a person Tyler Dunn is, He's giving me about 15, 20 minutes more than um, I expected. So, Tyler, thank you very much. I hope I didn't hold you up from anything. Oh, it's fine. Anything for you, Mark. Anything oh, for perfect. You. Uh, we'll talk again real soon, all right? All right. Cheers, buddy. Yep.